0: You can't talk about kids without talking about dads, right? I mean, uh, let me tell you this story. Uh, I was uh, sitting on the porch during a kind of a springtime, and um, you know, when spring hits, everybody's just kind of out. They're walking. They're going places. They wanna. They just wanna go places and. And my daughter, we had a Bible school student living with us. I think it might have been Emily. And then my daughter, Allison, who was younger, was with her. And they decided to walk over to the grocery store. And I don't know what they were getting. Maybe an errand for mom or just get something. And they went over to the the grocery store. It's only like a block away. So they walked over there. And on the way back, some junior high boys, some, you know, like 12, 13, 14, were throwing rocks at them and saying these vulgar, vulgar sexual words to them, like right in their face. And the girls came back, and, and, and they came up to the deck, and I'm just kind of sitting there minding my own business. And they said, Dad, we went to the store, and on the way back, some boys threw rocks at us and said these vulgar sexual words to us. It made us feel really ugly. And I, and I said, Where are they? Where are they? And just when I said, Where are they?, You know when you can look down a street and there's an intersection and people are walking kind of across the intersection and they were just going out of sight behind the corner house? That mean I could run up to the corner full blast without them seeing me. And when I got to the corner, all I could see was their backs walking down the sidewalk and I ran full blast up to their backs and then I jumped in front of them. And I said, did you throw rocks at my daughter? and say those vulgar sexual things. Did not you do that? And these boys were like, and I didn't know what I was going to do. I mean, I, I just, I was just kind of reacting. I was just being dad, you know, this kind of crazy. Like, because I had no thought what I'm going to do, you know. I mean, and these, these boys, I remember, I'll never forget that they looked at me with this look that still breaks my heart. And they didn't answer. And I said, answer me. I want you to answer me. Did you do those things? Did you say those words to them? I don't want you ever saying anything to a woman like that ever again. You need to be a man of honor. I'm getting out of control, kind of. And the Lord said, ask them the question. Go ahead. Ask them the question. And I I knew exactly what the question was. And I knew it. As soon as he said, ask them the question, I knew what it was. I, I looked at him and I said, any of you boys have a dad at home? And every one of them looked at me and then they looked down and they just shook their head and said, no, They went like this. Then I turned from this angry dad to this man who wanted to take him fishing wanted to take him to play soccer wanted to take him to throw a baseball in the park i said i just there's something in my heart said god there's not enough of me to go around but there's enough of you to go around to be a father to the fatherless and fatherless to every daughter a father to every broken-hearted daughter a father to every broken-hearted son who has never heard i'm proud of you from his dad for those little boys to grow up and have nothing in their spirit, and no one, no example, no one to correct, no one—I mean, this is our culture. This is this is why we're, we're where we are. And that's why this verse in Malachi—it's a—it's a revival verse. It's a promise verse. It's a warning verse. It's this. It's one of my life verses. And I encourage for you. I encourage you to let this be a life verse for you, a spiritual verse for you to think about. It just says, verse Malachi 4, 5, and 6, Behold, I'm going to send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and terrible day of the Lord. And he will restore the hearts of the fathers to their children and the hearts of the children to their fathers so that I will not come and smite the land with a curse. See, there's a warning in this because it says the land is gonna be cursed. If this doesn't happen, we're gonna have a curse on the land. If the heart of fathers doesn't turn to daughters and the heart of fathers doesn't turn to sons, and as a result, the sons and daughters' hearts begin to turn to their dads, we have a curse on the land. We have a, something begins to happen in the land. We talked about it Friday night. It says, it talked about Lucifer cast down and it says, he who weakens the nations, Isaiah 14, 12. Well, how does he weaken the nations? He goes after the family unit. How does he go after the family unit? He 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 loses a sexual spirit to destroy the cohesiveness and the covenant of family. Yes. But there's such a great promise in this too. Every time a father turns his heart to his kids I don't care when, I don't care how many years, I don't care how much failure. This is not about condemnation, this is an invitation, okay? Right now, let's get this. This is not a condemnation, this is an invitation. Okay, come on, come on. Devil, no, devil, no, this is not a condemnation, it's an invitation. And you're promised, by your grace, you're going to help every man that wants to be a dad, every man that wants to connect to a son or daughter, every daughter that wants to have a father over her life, every son that wants a man to speak into their life, that you are going to give that by the Holy Spirit. Because this isn't just about natural fathers and children. This is about spiritual fathers and children. And Paul was a consummate father. I can find that verse. It's one of my favorite verses. It's second, I think it's 2nd Thessalonians. 2nd Theth- Thessalonians. You know that one? 2nd Thessalonians 2, 7, and 8. Where is it? Come on, Thessalonians, where are you? I didn't mark this. 1 Thessalonians 2. I think. Just listen to talking about Paul being a father, just a spiritual father. Here's And he uses language of mama in there too. Of spiritual father has also got the mother stuff in there. And he says this, he says, we didn't come to flatter. Think about a pastor. Think about a leader. He didn't come to flatter with speech, as you know, nor with a pretext for greed to try to get your money. Nor do we seek glory from men like, hey, man, we're something else. Either from you or from others. Even though as apostles of Christ, even though we were apostles, we didn't do that. We might have asserted our authority. We might have been able to do that. Well, we didn't do it. We know who we were, but we didn't do it. But listen to, what he, listen to how he operated. We proved to be gentle among you as a nursing mother tenderly cares for her own children. Yeah. Using the language of the nursery, the spirit of a mother, that's strong. I mean, we're talking about hunters, running into bear cubs and literally grizzly bear cubs, hunters running into bear cubs and literally wetting themselves, knowing any second there's a mother grizzly bear, that will take four or five bullets to stop them. And if that mother bear thinks those cubs are in danger, that hunter is a dead man. That's the mother spirit God put in creation. And he's talking about this mother spirit turning its heart towards sheep to love them in the kingdom of God. Gentle among you as a nursing mother tenderly cares for her children. Listen to this. Having so fond an affection for you, we were well pleased to impart to you not only the gospel of God, but also our own lives because you had become very dear to us. That's the kingdom of God. Paul was that person. Oh, yeah, come on. <laughs> I got 33 more minutes. <laughs> I don't want to make light of what I'm saying, but. So I, I couldn't really talk about fathers. I want to talk about me and my dad. Who's in heaven. Hi, Dad talking about you. You know, I grew up, I was a chameleon in high school. I smoked pot on Thursday, I got drunk on Friday, chased the girls, and I went to the Bible study on Monday. All at the same time. Welcome to every young generation. Every young generation does it. Three different lives, confusion, hiddenness, shame. That was my life. Never had the courage to be one person. I'd get in that atmosphere of the Bible study, and there was a hunger in me. I could feel like God calling me, saying, You've, I've got something for you. I've got something for you. Then I'd get with my pot-smoking friends, and I was too afraid to say no, you know. And then i go get the beer drinkers, you know, hey. And i chase the girls and sit in the locker room and talk to my friends about what we did and what we didn't do and how far we got. I mean, I did this when I was 15 and 16 years old. Did I tell you that was 50, 50 years ago? 51 years, you think things have changed now? The only thing that's changed is sixth graders are doing it now instead of 16 year olds. That's the only difference. They haven't even entered puberty and they're doing it. That's our world. So I was a chameleon. Man, and I hated this. this I, I couldn't just be my, I couldn't, I, I didn't have the courage to just be focused on God. I didn't have the courage to say, I don't care what anybody thinks of me. I don't care what anyone else thinks of me. And when God broke the chameleon spirit, he broke, one day he came and broke the chameleon spirit in me. I met some young men who were hungry for God. They hung a picture of Jesus on the wall of the fraternity house that I was going to join. I'm going to join the fraternity. I'm going to have friends. I remember this one fraternity. I went to this guy. He had long hair, curly hair, wire rim glasses, a belt buckle, a dog, a backpack, a bicycle, a Volvo parked in the front. Curb. He just got done backpacking with his girlfriend in the mountains. That's all about nature, you know. And and, and, I, and I said, man, if, I, if you just look at me twice, I'll follow you. I'll become your disciple. You can teach me how to smoke pot and take girls backpacking and everything. It'll be really cool. Come on. And he was so stoned, he wouldn't even pay attention to me. He, I, I asked him more questions about him than he asked about, about me. I go, you're supposed to be talking to me about living in your fraternity. You won't even talk to me. What's wrong with you? But I had a little grandma praying for me named Mrs. Betts. The mother, the 40, the 61-year-old mother of a 15-year-old, just like Lisa was to James when he was 15, and he was ashamed of his mom because she was like a grandma. And God used that grandma, and that grandma adopted this orphan-spirited young man. She adopted this Esther Sue Betts, the Esther who saved a generation by her submitted beauty. Well, this Esther, by her submitted beauty, saved a young man from destruction because she attached her spirit to me and began to enter. She prayed for me for 31 years of her life from 1968 till 2001. 33 years of her life. Every day I'd see her, she goes, You're at the top of my list. And then she'd give me brownies and chocolate chip cookies. It was cookie evangelism. <laughs> How many like evangelism? about three, three of the evangelists. How many can bake cookies and give them to people? Who who you love, who you love. Well, let's lose some cookie evangelism and some gift-giving evangelism, and you did some socks. Let's move it up to chocolate chip cookies next time. (laughs) Combination, I don't know. Mrs. Betts prayed for me and salvation came to me, and that chameleon spirit got broken. Those young men in that fraternity, they had, instead of kegers in the basement of that fraternity, guess what? There were Christian rock bands. 1970, in the basement of the fraternity. And guess who showed up the next year? 1969, 1970, Christian rock bands in the basement of the fraternity, and these guys get saved. I roll in, the next year, they put a picture of Jesus on the wall, and guess what? The old guys who know God for nine months, they're old and wise and they're quoting scripture, man. There's something else. They're my heroes and they took me under their wing and my life has changed for 46 years. But let me tell you how I grew up a little bit. Because I grew up with an alcoholic mom. Do you know a mom is supposed to give a son a sample of of femininity without sexuality, a taste that this creature of mother who's shaped differently, who has body parts that you don't have, who nurtures you, is so different than you are. And it is God's plan to introduce a son to the feminine world through the spirit of a mom. A taste of femininity without sexuality. That's what I was supposed to get from my mom. But she was so broken. I was tucking my mom into bed. I was helping my mom up the stairs because she had drunk so much wine she couldn't navigate the stairs. I'm helping her upstairs and tucking her into bed when I'm 12. So guess what becomes really important to me? Guess where my knowledge of women girlfriends and sexuality and pornography it wasn't just all but it was emotional like I just like being around like female you know I even carried it into my Christian life any Christian sister in a skirt will do it wasn't about me being interested in her it was about how she made me feel I became the butterfly boy that would land on a flower and be interested. And as soon as my loneliness went away, I disappeared. And those dear daughters would open their hearts and wonder and hope and want to define the relationship. That's normal. They're made for commitment and security and safety. And this butterfly would land on a flower and and as soon as my loneliness went away, I disappeared. That's why we're trying to train young men that you don't initiate with a daughter unless you're interested in her as a person. And you take your loneliness to God. Amen. You learn how to take your loneliness Amen. to God. And he'll meet you and make you a man and he'll speak to you and then you, you think about this one and you pursue her and send a message And a dad is supposed to give a daughter a taste of masculinity without sexuality. Daughter is supposed to be almost worshipped by her father in the best sense of the word. She's supposed to grow up every day and hear how wonderful she is how she can almost do no wrong, almost. I always tell husbands and wives, I go, look it, your wife is always right. It's just how she tells us this wrong. <laughs> wives are always right. Why are they right? Because they're operating out of a need for safety and security. Everything they're doing is based on, this is bothering me and I need, I'm, I'm talking to you because something's happening and I need to communicate it to you. So wives are always right. It's just how they tell us it's wrong. And daughters are always right, and it's just how they tell us it's wrong. You know, the most dangerous equation in the earth, more dangerous than the Zika virus equation, more dangerous than the nuclear uh, bomb equation. Wow, I got your curiosity up now, don't I? What could be worse than the Zika virus and the nuclear equation? Like, ah! It's an equation born out of the absence of fathers in daughters' lives. I believe it with all my heart. It's the most dangerous equation in the earth. An empty-hearted daughter, plus the power of her sexuality, plus a confused young man translate into all the heartache and all the brokenness we see all around us. And God loves to reverse it. That's all he does. All he does is reverse it. All he does is say I see the woundedness. I see the scars. I want to reverse them. I want to change them. That's why Jesus three different times with Broken daughters. You see these, these storylines in the Bible where Jesus is breaking every, listen to me, he's breaking every rule in the world, every, every rule in the religious culture, every rule in the Hebrew culture, every, every rule, he breaks every rule so he can encounter a broken daughter. Every single rule he breaks. Men are not supposed to talk to women in public. Hebrews are not supposed to talk to Samaritans. I mean, on and on it goes because it was all about her, and her healing, and her restoration, and, and his need to communicate to her as a daughter, I understand. I understand your heart. I'm calling you to accountability. I'm not, gonna, I'm not gonna make light of what you've done. You're still responsible, but listen to me. I understand how you got there. I understand what happened when you were young. I was there, I was watching. I understand this culture that's ugly, and has sexualized your identity. I understand it. And he encounters them, and he says things like, "Go and sin no more. Let me meet your your needs in terms of loneliness. Let me be. Let me fill the empty places of your heart. I want to. I." If you will give me the empty places of your heart, I will fill them. You don't have to ever, ever again try to fill the empty places of your heart with the glances of a thousand men or the embraces of a thousand men or encounters with any kind of men. And God is all for men and women getting together in his covenant. He loves family. This is not about he doesn't like family. This is about he wants it in his way, in his time, with his blessing, because he knows who we are. So having an alcoholic mom, a dad who never said, "I'm proud," of me, never said I'm proud of you." And I wondered about men. You know, men, it's so funny. It's like you think about men. Why are there so many alcoholics and workaholics and everything in between? I think they are driven. I think it's because men are looking for the affirmation they never got from their dads. Whether they're collecting cars or playing golf or investing in stocks, chasing women, selling drugs, I mean, I don't care what it is, men do stuff with this passion, with this compulsion, this drivenness, it's incredible to watch. It's what New York is built on. And I believe There's a little boy in every heart of a man wanting his peers to say, wow, you do that so good. You're awesome. You're awesome. And it never fills the hole. And men will risk their marriages, their families, their friendships, their devotions, their purity, their character, Just to get a, wow, you're so awesome. And I believe God is saying, I want to be a father to the fatherless. And I'm going to set the fatherless in families. And if you never had a father say, I'm proud of you, I'm going to start whispering that in your ear. If you're a young man, I'm going to whisper, I'm proud of you so many times, you're going to believe it. You know, Jesus heard those words in Matthew 3. It's so crazy. When I saw this, I was so shocked. Matthew 3, when Jesus got baptized. Listen, it's just very simple. It says, Matthew three sixteen. after being baptized, Jesus came up immediately from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened. What is that? The heavens were opened. It's kind of like a stage. Can you like a balcony at a we were at the New York game. We were on the last row in the nosebleed and over the first baseline, row 400. But it was like we were looking over, kind of like, it's like we were in the heavens watching the game. <laughs> we were. It's like if I, if I did anything, if I drooled, it would have hit the first baseman. You know, it's just kind of like, whoa. You know, just. And that's how the picture is. It's like Jesus was baptized and the heavens were watching. The attention of heaven. You got it. The attention of heaven. And it goes on. And he saw the Spirit of God descending as a dove and lighting on him. Landing on him. Saw the Spirit of the dove. The Holy Spirit touching him. The touch of heaven. The Affection of heaven. The affection of heaven. The attention of heaven. And the affection of heaven. Come on. I got some men starting to smile. Because we're made for that. We're made to hear that so much, get that so much. Oh, and the last one, I love the last one. You know this part. And behold, a voice out of heaven said, this is my Beloved son, did you hear it? This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Do you know this was said of Jesus before he did a thing? All he had done was be a son to his father Joseph. He didn't do a thing, he hadn't done one thing, he hadn't done one miracle. It was like God saying, the way you start your ministry is to have your identity so rooted in me that you don't have to do nothing. Everything you do the rest of your life is a thank you for what I've done. You don't have to earn anything back, you don't. Daughter, if you have a broken heart, you've done things you're ashamed of, you will not be a slave in the kingdom of God because the kingdom of God has no slaves, it has only sons and daughters. And there's something in a daughter's heart that's so profoundly desiring purity that she will begin to work and be a slave to trying to make up for what she's done. I had this beautiful, beautiful daughter, Hispanic daughter. I remember, Marcella. She said, "I can." She said, "Tell my story everywhere. Shameless. Remember, shameless. The X-rated testimony. Men, loss of children, abortions, 34." always telling herself, I'm, I'm never, I'm not really, I don't feel called to be married. I'm just gonna, I feel like I'm just gonna be on the mission field and just serve God. I go, Marcella, why are you lying to yourself so much? Why are you lying to yourself? Why don't you tell God your dream? And she began to weep and she goes, because I'm afraid that I'm unworthy of, of the dream. I go, you don't understand you are so worthy you have no idea how worthy you are and she began to let god remake her identity he began to let god remake her identity she married to some leader now he was a little younger smart guys marry some older girls he's 23 you know he was 25 she was 30 something you know Got a couple of kids, they're leading an outreach for high school students. They meet with 300 down in L.A. on what's that avenue, that, that, that street in L.A., that school there. 300 kids at lunchtime hearing the gospel. And she's shepherding the girls there, telling her story about her restoration. There's a New York girl. There's a New York girl I read about. Listen to this. This is so cool. It kind of connects to fathers. You got to, I love this. This is, maybe you've heard it, but. Talks about this girl coming to New York. She goes, after this girl, after a stint on America's top 10 model, 2004, Leah Darrow, a slender 24-year-old brunette from St. Louis, moved to New York to continue modeling in a life of carousing and sex she began in high school. Despite her Catholic upbringing, but during, a particularly, but during a particularly risque photo shoot, she had an image of offering herself to God. And her hands were empty. And she explains on the journey home, she had nothing to give. She abruptly left the chute, and the words of an angry executive following her out If you leave, you're going to be a nobody. <laughs> and the fact was, Daryl says, I'd made Jesus a nobody. Jobless in high rent Manhattan, she did the only thing a girl could do in my position I called my dad. After telling him, Dad, if you don't come and get me, I'm going to lose my soul. And she recalls there was this long pause, and he, respan- he, and he responded, Okay, baby, I'm coming to get you. Amen. You know, some of us may not be connected to our dad, but you know what? That father spirit is in the church. That Father Spirit is in the church where we can pour out our souls. We can say, this is my life. And there are shepherds who love people. Sons and daughters. Young men that need to hear, they need a few doses of I'm proud of you. So that drivenness will be abated and that godly foundation can be established that can, a family can be built on. So let me finish my story about my dad. I know you're just waiting to hear about me and my dad. We fought about everything. We fought about haircuts. We fought about, we had shower wars, haircut wars, shoe wars, pancake wars. I mean, you name it, there was tension all the time. I want long hair, he wants short hair. He's got clippers at home. <laughs> he turns them on. I'm thinking, I don't want a haircut. I want to be cool. You're going to ruin my life. Dad, I want pointed boots. The Beatles came to town in 1964. I want pointed shoes and leather coat. My dad says, No, boy. Like, no son of mine's going to wear shoes like that. <laughs> dad, you're ruining my life. Shower wars. He'd, stand, he'd sit in the shower, taking a shower. Everything is cool. Then he turns the hot off. He turns the hot off on purpose and makes noise. And then he gets out and says, Jim, it was great. You need to try that. Kind of like, this is what manhood is all about. I go, Dad, I don't even like to get out of a hot shower into a cold bathroom. (laughs) And he loves sourdough pancakes. You know, we got a sourdough starter, this little thing you put the sour stuff in. It's like, who made that? I want to find them. I want to track them down. I want to... Tell them how much pain I've had because of that. Yeah. This, this starter, this, this stuff. And, and it's been going for 12 years, you know. We have this new batch of wonderful pancake. Like, it will taste good, but we put a little of this bad stuff in. By morning, it's all bad. It leavens the whole thing. You've wrecked the whole batch. Oh, and then we make sure they take a little bit of the new bad batch and put it in there so it keeps going. Yeah. Wow, that, and he says, smell it. Isn't that smell great? I go I hate sourdough dad Can't can't we have pancakes like granny Please and everything I ever said or did it was always a disappointment It was always always reminding me that I was It was just a silent disappointment He was disappointed. I became a Christian. I didn't drink beer with him. He was disappointed. I didn't love... In the old days, dad would have two TVs on at the same time. They didn't have those fancy channels. So we had two televisions on at the same time for AFL and NFC. You know, we got both both leagues on at the same time. I mean, you're with me. And and I'm not drinking beer. And it's and, and, and like... And we're never talking we just sit there for hours you know after church on sunday i'm over there with a family and i'm thinking lord i remember one day the lord said what are you doing i go well i mean i'm you know i mean and and my dad would always say do you want to go golfing jim you want to go golfing i go dad i hate golf why do i want to i mean and the lord said your dad is asking for a relationship with you the only way he knows how he's not going to come to your bible study you're the christian I got a revelation. I got so excited. I, I thought I'm calling my dad up. I'm gonna call my, I'm gonna enter. I'm gonna enter, enter his world. If Jesus entered our world. Where would we be if, we, if Jesus didn't enter our world? Where Where would we be? He entered our world. I get to enter his world. I mean, I'm waiting for him to jump in my boat. Jim, can I go to your Bible study? He's not gonna ask you. He's already asking to spend time with you. He knows you're a Christian. He's saying, "Let's go golfing." I call him up, Dad, um, Friday, Dad, um, are you going golfing tomorrow? He goes, and it's this classic, well, Jim, you know, I always, we always go golfing on Saturday, kind of, <laughs> I go, I'm just going to ignore that. I go, well, Dad, is there room for me? And everything changed. I could hear it. I could hear him fall off his stool and get back up. I, I could hear it. I go, are you okay, Dad? No, I, I mean, I, I, I could hear it. I could hear the change in atmosphere. I could hear it all. And I started going And then he goes, We're going to get lessons for you. Make sure you get here on time. Now we're going to have some buckets. And, you know, don't, you know, oh, yeah, Dad, I understand. I'll be there. I, everything will be good. We started a friendship, we started a relationship. We started over again. And my dad got cancer. We took him to a Catholic faith healer, Father Di'Orio, 6,000 people at the Eastern Washington University Basketball Pavilion. A six-hour meeting that went by like in 15 minutes. Me and my brother and my other brother took him. He was in a wheelchair then. He couldn't walk. We wheeled him into the front row. He's, the, 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 the priest is praying for ears going down the row and people are getting their hearing back and he, suddenly he looks at my father and says, where's your cancer, sir? And we start weeping. God's going to heal Dad. God's going to heal Dad. God's going to heal Dad. He has them, stand up, sir. Stand up. Walk away from me. So my dad's just walking away. Turn around, sir. Walk toward me. He's walking. Father DiOrio goes, and Dad goes, you know, he almost falls over. And Father DiOrio says, did you see it? Did you see it? Did you see the spirit leave him? I go. I know we didn't see any spirit leave. I mean, we don't know anything about spirits. This is like 1986. We don't know anything about spirits or anything. We just want our dad to be healed, okay? He goes, it left him. And we drove home thinking if the cancer's gone. It's healed. The cancer's gone. God's gonna heal dad. He got worse. And I realized what left him was the bitterness he had toward his own dad because my dad treated me exactly the same way that his father had treated him. And the worst thing I could have ever told my dad is, Dad, you're treating me just like Grandpa treated you. And he tried so hard, and he wanted to be so different. And without the Holy Spirit, he didn't have a chance to do that. My little brother led him to the Lord two weeks later. After he got led to the Lord, he got that little daily bread. He read the little daily bread every day and everywhere about heaven in his little shaky handwriting, he would underline every verse about heaven. I looked at that daily bread. I I said, my dad's in heaven. I'm gonna see him again. I'm gonna see him Dad, get a tea time in heaven. I'm coming. It'll be maybe 35 years, but just hold it for us. Hold it for us and we'll, we'll do some golf up there. And there's, I don't want any? Sourdough. And I might have black pointed shoes. I'm only having warm showers. And I might have really long hair. I know it'll at least be gray. Okay? It's <laughs> my dad. I'm a lot like my dad. I got saved, God brought me into the church, and I got this pastor that was kind of the same age as my dad, kind of 45-ish something, and it was like, it's like the dad I never had, and I realized in the church, in the kingdom of God, God gives us fathers and moms, and they're never to replace our own fathers and mothers. That's illegal honor. I man, I don't. The church is not about, well, now they're gonna be like your mom and dad. No, they can be like, they can be like a mom or dad, but the greatest compliment a spiritual leader can ever get from a young man or a young woman is is when they say, because, or even that their parent comes to that leader and says, Because of your relationship with my son or daughter. My relationship with my son and daughter is this much better. Thank you. That is the kind of honor and alignment. And that began to happen with me. I became a crazy, crazy man. Worship bouncing off the walls, going here, going there. And God's building material is you and me, father wounds father wounds where we have brokenness from our relationship with our dad. Unrealistic expectations. (laughs) Pastor Shackett, my first pastor, he's going to be like the dad I never had. He's going to remember my name. I'm going to spend all hours with him. It's all the time. He loved me a lot. The only problem was about 250 young people joined his church at the same time because the move of God was starting. The move of God was starting. I believe the move of God is starting here in New York. This is a seed. You're a a little kernel that's gonna fall to the ground and die. It's gonna bring a harvest. There's gonna be, they're gonna be, there's friends. I mean, I, I look in your eyes and I see The friendships, I see the people that you know and love and you're thinking, I want this, I want the kingdom of God for them somehow. I'm not sure how to get it to them. And pride, pride that locks us up so we don't admit that we're wounded. See, I believe today, I believe today God wants to heal just father stuff for some people. Maybe you're a daughter and you have empty places in your heart and you've been trying to fill them with the glances of a thousand men. Maybe you're the best Christian girl in the whole world and you have a fear of the future that is locking you up. Maybe you're like Marcella, afraid to tell God, Lord, this is what I really want, but I've been kind of lying to you because I'm ashamed. I think there's no way I'll ever get what you want to give me. Well, I got promise for you. God wants to give you something. And the Lord will not, he does not build the kingdom with slave labor. He only builds with sons and daughters. That's the only way he builds. And in a moment of time, God can begin to heal. In a moment of time, he begins to, and the the things we do is the first thing we do is we honor our father. Well, Pastor Jim, how do I honor my father? He touched me when I was a little girl. I go, we honor him by remembering some things that were good. There might be one thing. Maybe you never met your dad, and he, father, he, he had a relationship with your mother for one night. You can honor him and say, without my dad, I wouldn't be on earth, and I wouldn't know you, Lord. And I don't even know where he is, but I'm going to honor even that memory of him. We have a girl who was here last week. Do you remember Micaiah? Do you remember her? That's her story. Do you know that's her story? One night, her mom, never known her dad, never interested, tried to reach out. He said, I don't want anything to do with you. But she has a heavenly father. Amen. So we honor our father. And the second thing we do is we forgive. Well, how can I forgive? I go, forgiveness never says, to a dad, to a daughter, to a son. It never says what they did was right, ever. It never says that. But forgiveness allows us to take this person to the foot of the cross and leave him in the presence of God. And then walk away and say, God, I'm leaving him in your presence. The curse words, the beatings, the the, the words saying, you're never gonna beat this. And God, when you begin to forgive, God reaches into your heart and pulls those fiery darts out of your spirit. Suddenly you feel like, I can be a man. God, you're, you're speaking to me. In one moment, that touch of God, that he, that father touching you. You know how you get healed from a, from a messed up father thing is another father blesses you. And something happens, supernaturally. I wanna bless you today. I'm not a magician. I'm not like Magic, Jim, everything about me. No, I'm just a dad. I'm just a dad who hasn't quit. I'm a dad who's made more mistakes with my kids than everyone here because I have eight kids. That's how many mistakes I made. It takes me an hour to repent every time I mess up. I got to go to the older girls, and I go to the little girls, and I go to the little little girls, and I go to my son, and then I go to my wife. It takes me a half an hour, 45 minutes every time I'm wrong. I repented more than you ever thought about repenting. And every son is longing for that blessing They fought for the blessing. The blessing would change their life. Charm is deceitful and beauty is vain, but a woman who fears the Lord shall be praised. A woman who has a growing relationship with Jesus Christ shall receive appropriate attention. God is saying, you deserve it. I made you for it. You are supposed to get attention for who you are as a person, not what you look like and how you walk and how you stand. It's about who you are in your heart. I want to give it to you today. A father can touch you in a moment and begin to change your identity. The last thing we do is that we engage him. We use, oh, no, my father's dead. You can engage your father. He's been gone. You know how you engage your father? You remember him. You remember him to your children. You talk about who he was. I was engaging my father, he's in heaven. I was honoring him and telling you about him. Bragging about him in a negative way, but he also went to bars and drank. I'll never forget the night he came home with a black eye and a bloody nose, and we said, what's wrong dad, what happened? He goes, I was at a bar and a man was treating a woman the wrong way, and I stepped in to intervene, and this man began to hit me. I go, that's where I got that spirit. That's where I got that spirit, it was from my dad, to intervene for a daughter, saying, I'm sick of what's happening to women in this culture. We are gonna change it, men. We are gonna rise together, and that sexual spirit that wants to rob women of their true identity, we're gonna see it cast down, and we're gonna see a Holy Spirit come on them, and the beauty from heaven to adorn them so they can be who they were made to be and walk in the beauty of heaven. Come on. I see some beautiful daughters here. I'm an expert in beautiful daughters. I have six of my own, I'm married to one, and I relate to hundreds of them everywhere. I see a room full of them, full of them, beautiful. Married beautiful daughters, single beautiful daughters, going to get married beautiful daughters, hoping to be married beautiful daughters, and daughters who have suffered horrible things. The Father God wants to touch sons and daughters. So let's stand. We wanna, I want to give it to David real quick, and he's going to, you want to talk about how we, we're transitioning real quick, and, and we can have some, we want to be able to pray for you. That's the main message. We want to be able to pray for you. Just, we want to be able to pray for you. That's your heart. If you're a son or daughter, you just you just know there's something in my spirit. I just need, and we'll just trust God what he's going to do. But if there's anything in your heart that that resonated, you know, just you, you feel that something's happening, come and let God do something. Let God in a moment of time.